A few years ago, I was caught in an unsolicited debate. I was having lunch with a friend. Um, we were uh, sitting and talking and talking about Christ. And a lady came over. Obviously, she overheard our conversation, and she just interjected that I was a fool and that I needed to stop peddling this false hope in God. That if I would just look around me, I'd be able to see the evil in this world, and I, I should know better. I should know better than to tell someone that they can have life after death. Well, the guy I was sitting with, he interrupted her, interjected a question. He said, well, if there is no God, what happens to people when they die? She responded with some sharp condescension. Um, she said, well, that's just the end. I mean, that, you just go back to the dirt. That's the end of life. You, you might as well just live it up now. That's, that's it. Well, after she finally left our table, I, I looked over to my friend, and he was not filled with hope from her conversation. In fact, it was despair. Even worse than when he and I were talking before. You see, what she didn't realize is that he had just buried his mother. And the purpose of our lunch meeting was for me to talk to him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how in Christ we can have hope for real life after death. I don't know about you, but in our world today, everyone, everyone is thinking a lot about death. And uh, I'm thankful that we get to talk about death from a Christian perspective where um, death is not the end. Because of Jesus, we have real hope. And that's what I want you to know. Everyone's asking the same question. Um, can, can we really know? What happens to a person after they die? Can we have a real hope? Can I really have hope that when I die, I will live again? What I want to do is tell you today, yes, you can. His name is Jesus. We're going to be in uh, our Bibles today in John chapter 11, and this is what I want to talk about. So would you take your Bible with me as we turn to John chapter 11? 11, um, we've been looking closely at who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Not who do other people say that he is, not who do I say that he is, but who did Jesus say that he is? We've looked closely at some of his I am statements. We've seen that Jesus says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And later in John chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't make these I am statements because he wants us to hope in a promise for the future. 
No, he makes these statements because he wants us to hope in his identity today. He's not just saying, I am this, so believe it for the future. He's saying, I am, the, today we'll talk about the resurrection and the life. Not just a resurrection for the future, but hope for today. So the aim of this message today is that you would put your hope for eternal life in Jesus Christ alone today. That's our aim with this message. So um, in John 11, we find the story of the death of Lazarus, one of Jesus's best friends. Um, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, and they loved him. They, they were great friends. Jesus had frequently gone to their home for dinner and uh, just to rest and get away from the crowds. So when Lazarus became deathly ill, Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story. So would you open in John chapter 11 with me? And we'll pick up in, uh, in, in verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're gonna go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So in John 11, we see uh, a powerful story of Lazarus. Um, He has died and his sisters are grieving his death. They are so scared that they're never going to see their brother again. In fact, they're they're pretty convinced of that truth. They're actually frustrated that they sent word to Jesus and he didn't come. So what does this text teach us? This, This big, bold statement of Christ about himself, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that statement mean? And I want to give us two overarching principles. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection, here's what he means. I have, Jesus is, power over death. Jesus is powerful over death. In John eleven twenty five, 25, uh, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The main idea here is that death is not the end for a believer. Though you die, yet shall you live. And in fact, the book of Corinthians says that for the Christian, when he dies, in the moment he dies, Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here we have a promise, an incredible promise. Jesus has been making this promise to anyone who repents of sin and believes in him for his whole ministry. I mean, think with me for a minute through some of the things that Jesus has said. In John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus has always been promising that belief in the Son of God leads to life with God. In John chapter five, verse 24, Jesus says, whoever hears my words and believes them has eternal life. And in John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, Jesus is really specific here. He says, um, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is promising to raise up believers. Whoever dies, yet shall he live. So we're seeing here the promise of Christ, a preview of Christ, and then finally the person of Christ. This is all wrapped up in his power over death. There's a promise here. Um, One thing I, I notice is that Jesus makes this promise in the midst of their Uh, anxiety, their fear. And uh, that should be comforting to all of us. In the middle of anxiety, we should cling tightly to the promises of God's word. Um, So Jesus makes this promise right when Martha says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Here's what she's saying. She's saying that um, Jesus, death, is, your, is the barrier to your miracle-working power. Um, if you'd gotten here in time, you might could have stopped it, but 
now it's too late. He has died, and so the, the power that you had can only go this far. It just can't breach this barrier of death. And this is what we're seeing in this, in this beautiful text, is that Jesus, when he says, I am the resurrection, he's saying, I have power over death. Power over death. Everyone thought the chances for a miracle were over. They knew something that we've all come to accept, that death is final. But what Jesus is telling us in this promise is that for a believer, death is not the end. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Hope in me. The second thing I want us to see right here is that this is a preview. It's a powerful preview of the power of Jesus. Lazarus is the preview. Uh, just like if you, um, if you see a, a movie trailer on TV and they're about to release a new movie in the theaters and they always put these one or two minute clips on television and you, you, you see these, these clips and you go, wow, that's, that's going to be a great movie. That, ooh, they show you little highlights. Maybe you get a general idea of the plot, but it's these little powerful moments of the actual real movie, but it's, it's just a teaser. It's not the real thing. This is a preview. It's not the real thing. Lazarus is brought back from the dead, but you know what? He's going to die again. <laughs> He's just brought back to demonstrate the power of Christ over death. You get a general idea of Jesus's power, but this is not the real deal. It's just pointing to the real deal. The real story was coming. But this preview in the life of Lazarus made him a powerful testimony to the power of Jesus. Um, Lazarus, I mean, can you imagine coming back from the dead? Everybody wants to come talk to this guy. What was it like? What did you see? What happened? And we don't get any of that detail. All we know is that he became a bold witness for the power of Jesus. So bold that in, uh, in John chapter 12, if you look over in verses 10 and 11, um, it actually says that not only did this miracle um, stir up the Jewish leader's desire to kill Jesus, but it actually made them want to kill Lazarus too. In John 12, verse 10 and 11, it says, So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Is that your witness? Does that remind you of your testimony about Christ? Um, this was convicting to me this week. I love what the Bible says about Lazarus. On account of him, many were going away and believing in Jesus. He's just a preview, and yet it's a powerful testimony to the power of Christ. Is your life like that? Because Jesus wants it to be. He wants it to be a preview that proclaims his power to raise from the dead. So this is the preview, but it really leads us to the person of Christ himself. The real story here is that Jesus is the power over death. He shows that power in this moment by bringing a four-day cadaver back to life just by calling his name. Somebody said if Jesus had not shouted Lazarus at the tomb, that a whole bunch of bodies would have come walking out of there. 
But Jesus called Lazarus' name, and Lazarus came forth. This story is pointing to an even greater display of power over death, and it's in Jesus himself. You see, in just days from this moment, um, Jesus is going to hand his own life over to be crucified, brutally whipped and beaten, mocked and spit upon, and ultimately nailed to the cross. Now, he died in your place and in my place. He didn't deserve that. He was an innocent man. Even the two thieves on the cross, uh, on the crosses beside him, even one of them was able to, to see that. Don't you know who this is? He's an innocent man. We deserve to be here, but he's innocent. This is the Son of God. Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. That, that's powerful. Jesus on the cross, innocent man, dying on behalf of guilty people. That's me and you. And he died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb because he wouldn't need it for long. And then through the power of Christ, he rose from the dead on his own. He came out of that grave and he has claimed victory over death. This is the person of the power of the resurrection. We've had the promise, we've had a preview, now we've got the person. I love what 1 Corinthians 15 says about this moment. Paul's looking back and here's what he says. Here's what he says about a resurrected Jesus and, and the enemy of death. He says, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus claimed victory over death with his own resurrection. And that's what Easter Sunday is all about. It's not about bunnies and Easter eggs. It's about Jesus Christ risen from the dead and saying to you and me, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So Jesus is powerful over death. I am the resurrection, he said. But he also said to Martha, I am the life. So secondly, he is powerful to save. John eleven twenty six 26 says, um, he who lives and believes in me shall never die. And the main point here is that the life that Jesus gives is eternal life. Never die. It's eternal. Every one of us needs saving. Every one of us needs to be saved. We are all sinners. And unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. We should be more and more aware of that in these days. You turn on the news and that's all you can see these days is, is the, the death tolls around us. This coronavirus, if nothing else, has made us aware of our own uh, frailty of how fragile life really is and how real death is. But that's why the message of the gospel and the hope of a resurrection in Christ is so important today. We all need saving. We're all going to die, and the scary part is that none of us know when it's going to happen. So this text... Um, 
presents and answers two questions at least for us. One, can Jesus help us? If we need to be saved, can Jesus help us? Well, there were people who saw Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Um, he, He got to the tomb and everyone's there weeping and Jesus is overwhelmed and he begins to weep as well. Love that about our Savior, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Well, they see him weeping and some of them say, look how he loved him. But then others confuse his, his weeping for weakness. And they say in John eleven thirty seven. some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Can he save us? That's the question. Can Jesus save? And the answer Jesus gives in this text is an emphatic, yes, Jesus can. Jesus can. He is powerful, he is able, and he is willing. He's going to put his power on display by bringing him back to life. It's not just that he got there in time to keep him from dying. That's what these guys were saying. He healed the blind man. Could he not have kept him from dying? Jesus says, absolutely, I could have kept him from dying, but I'll go one step further. I'll bring him back from the dead to show you my power. Jesus can save. Jesus can. The second question is, why would he save us? Why would he? What motivates Christ? Well, Jesus can and Jesus cares. In John eleven thirty five, 35, we see Jesus wept. He wept. And I'm, I'm reminded of when the disciples are in the boat and there's a big storm coming and they're throwing things overboard, trying to survive, and they, they finally wake Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? The question is, can he save us and does he really care? What we see from Christ is two really powerful things. He sympathizes in our suffering. Hebrews 4 tells about how he's a high priest who sympathizes with us. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He struggled with everything you struggle with, except he didn't fail. But he sympathizes with your suffering. He came to the tomb of Lazarus, and all these people are weeping, and Jesus weeps with them. This is sympathy. No doubt about it, it's sympathetic from the Lord Jesus. He sympathizes with our suffering, but then there's something else. The text doesn't just say he wept. It actually says it actually says in the scriptures that he was deeply moved in his spirit. And the word there doesn't just mean that he was emotional. It actually means he was angry. He was indignant. So Jesus is not only emotional about this, he's not only sympathetic with your suffering, he's actually angry about it. And you say, well, is that comforting? I mean, why does that comfort me that Jesus would be angry about my pain and my suffering? Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, I walked with a friend whose five-year-old daughter was battling leukemia, and through that struggle, he's a Christian brother, and he just struggled with 
this battle with leukemia and how how could this happen to my daughter and you know I, I didn't I didn't know how to comfort him you know uh, I, I talked to him tell him the truth tell him the scriptures encourage him but really just just there with him weep with him uh, struggle with him and he he confessed that he struggled with the brokenness of this situation. And even though he believes in Christ, he's just struggling with it. He's angry about it. Angry. Why, why does this happen to a little girl? And I want you to know that Jesus doesn't just sympathize with you in your suffering, but he shares in your anger at what is not God's intended design for his creation. Let me tell you something. Death is not natural. Everybody wants you to believe that death is just a part of life. No, death is a part of sin. We die because of sin. It's not natural. It's not the way God intended it. So when Jesus steps in and he sees Lazarus has died, he is angry. He's indignant at the evil impact of sin. And that's the right thing. I hope that brings comfort to you. That you know that in the middle of your suffering, Jesus isn't just sad and sorrowful and sympathetic to your suffering. He actually hates evil. He hates it. You hate it too. And he hates it. That's why he went to the cross. Because he wanted to defeat it. Once and for all, he took the fangs out of our greatest enemy. Jesus defeated death. Once and for all. He's sympathetic to our suffering. He is angry over the evil impact of sin. But I want to give you three things from this text that show what does Jesus care about? What motivates Christ? The first thing is this. The glory of the Son of God. In Luke 11, or John 11, 4, um, we see Jesus... Uh, saying, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And then he says this, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's motivated by his own glory. Um, I'm reminded of the man who was born blind. And Jesus' disciples looked at him and said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, this is, this is not about sin right now. This thing is about the glory of, of God. And that's what I'm about to do, is show you that this suffering is for the glory of God. And Jesus says the same thing here about Lazarus' sickness. He said it doesn't end in death. It's going to result in the glory of the Son of God. That's his chief concern. Secondly, um, he's motivated by love for his people. Now, this one's a little different because in John 11, um, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was for two days longer. Now, if that doesn't mess you up, you didn't hear it. I want you to connect the dots. Jesus loved, so he stayed. Now, they obviously were blown away by that because they sent word to him. They didn't actually um, express specifically, please come. 
All they said when they sent word, the messenger said, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. He's dying. The one whom you love. The, the understood expectation is you're going to drop what you're doing and you're going to come because you love. And what Jesus shows is that um, he loves in a deeper way. So love for his people motivates him. It motivates him. They expected him to come quickly. You see that even when Martha comes to Jesus and she says, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. They expected him to come. But here's the thing. In our view of love, we look at love like love fixes our problems. And that's what they wanted Jesus to do. You love him, so come fix this. But for Jesus, love is much deeper. It's an invitation to know him. Not just to have our problems fixed by him. He's not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. So for Jesus, he knows that deeper knowledge of God sometimes comes through desperation for God. And that if he just fixes our problems, we'll miss the point he's wanting to Pull us in to see something beautiful about his character, about who he is. So Jesus often allows struggle, not because he doesn't have power over it, but because he loves you. He allows you to struggle because he wants you to draw near, to draw close to him. Uh, this is a silly illustration, and I may regret it. But um, back when I was dating, um, uh, before I was married, I, I, would, uh, I would take a girl to the movies and we'd go see a scary movie. And I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slip my arm around this girl. And as soon as that scary thing happens on the screen, she's going to pull in close. And it was, it was that kind of thing. I was using um, fear, this, this thing, to motivate her to come close, right? Bad illustration. But here's what Jesus is doing. He uses our struggles... Our fears, our anxieties, our trouble, our problems, our pain, our hurt. He uses those things to pull us close to him in relationship. Here's what he knows. He knows that he can prove to you that he's the source of comfort, the source of your confidence, and your deepest hope in the midst of some of the scariest, hardest, most difficult storms of your life. Jesus led his disciples into the storm and then he went fast asleep. While they scrambled, he slept. They woke him up. Don't you care? And he said, absolutely, I care. I've been waiting on you to come to me. He wants to be the peace in your storm. But the storm's got to be there. Jesus loves you. That's what motivates him. He loves. And thirdly, so we've said he's motivated by the glory of the Son of God. He's motivated by love for his people. And he's motivated by belief, true belief in him. So in some of the darkest moments, the light of Christ can be most clearly seen. I want you to look again at John 11 um, and in verse 15. Just before that, Jesus makes it clear to his disciples. Guys, Lazarus is dead. And then he says this. For your sake, I'm glad. That's sharp. But then he says, and here's why. 
I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. So Jesus is motivated and he does things to pull us close, show us that he loves us deeply, but he he does things in your life so that you will believe, so that you'll put your full hope and full confidence in him. What do you think was the after effect of raising Lazarus from the dead? How do you think Martha and Mary and even Lazarus responded to Jesus after this? Well, obviously in worship, but do you think there was anything you could say about Jesus? Do you think there's anything you could do to, to derail them from believing that this Jesus is the real deal? Absolutely not. You see, through this encounter, through the power of the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, Jesus had made an army right here with his disciples and then with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He had made an army of men and women who had seen enough. Their faith was firm. That's what Jesus is concerned about. He wants the glory of the Son. He wants you to know he loves you. And he wants your faith to be firm and strong. Well, Jesus, um, after he makes these, these bold claims, I am the resurrection and the life, he says to Martha, do you believe this? And this is the question that I want to ask you today. The same question Jesus asked her. Do you believe it? You know, this series of sermons is called Jesus is blank. And we're letting Jesus fill the blank, but how do you fill that blank? In your own heart, in your own life, what do you truly believe about who Jesus is? Have you genuinely put your faith in him? Because Jesus makes promises. He he gives us a preview with Lazarus, and then we know the story of his own death and resurrection, the person of Christ. He's the one we should put our hope in. But how do you answer that question that Jesus asked Martha, do you believe? Martha answered it this way. She said, yes, Lord. In John eleven twenty seven, she says, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who's coming into the world. She says, I believe you're the Christ. And what she means there is you're the anointed king. You're the Messiah that we've been waiting for who's coming to rescue us. You're the Christ Then she says, you're the son of God. What does she mean by that? She means you are God in the flesh. You are God who's come to be one of us. You're God in flesh. And then I love what she says at the end here, coming into the world. Here's what she means, is that you're not... You're not one of us. You're not, you're not from here. You're from another kingdom. But you have come, coming into our world. I love that she says coming, not going, meaning um, she feels the nearness of this Christ, this Son of God. She feels him close. He's near. Ha- have you ever been with someone and realized that proximity and presence are not the same thing. Maybe you were sitting at dinner and um, the person you're with is texting on the phone and you're trying to talk and they're just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. Don't elbow your husband right now. <laughs> he knows. Um, 
but you know that there's a difference in proximity and presence. What Martha's saying here is, Jesus, you didn't just come to be in the same proximity with us. You came to be with us. You're, you're here. You're one of us. You're not of us, but you're one of us, and you're the Christ, the Messiah, the King who's come to rescue his people. She believes that Jesus has come to save. She does. She absolutely does. Do you? You know, Jesus asked Martha that day, do you believe this? That's a really pointed question. And I want to ask you the same thing. Do you really believe that Jesus is who he said he is? The resurrection and the life. Do you really believe it? Specifically, do you believe that he died on the cross innocent man, a righteous man for the unrighteous. He died in your place. So he died to absorb the wrath of God that you deserve and I deserve. But Jesus died in our place. Then three days later, he rose from the dead, demonstrating his power over death and that he's good for his promise. Well, I was having lunch with that man that day. And the atheist um, said to him, this life is all there is. You just, just live it up. Just enjoy it because when you die, it's over. It's done. What she said is in total contrast to what Jesus said. What Jesus said is this life is not all there is. And whoever believes in me, whoever believes in Christ, Though he die, yet shall he live. He is the resurrection and the life. And if you've never put your hope and faith in Christ, don't wait. Do it today.